I eat a fry every day this summer. Go from that building site. You know, now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there the food and the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second-half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. Our performances was just lacked that intensity. So if you're brand new to this, it's very straightforward. We have a traffic light system. Somebody's in green, somebody's in amber, somebody's in red. And you can enter, uh, you can play along at home. Uh, as I said, um, however you want to get involved, but ideally do it on a Sunday night on our Instagram page. So if you're not following us on Instagram, get over there, follow us on Instagram. You'll see the, the uh, opportunity to put something in the box on Instagram. Uh, you can put it in the box in the comments as well at the moment and tell us who you think should be uh, green, red and amber. Man United have lived in the red for months and months Oof. and months and months and months and months and months. Will they make the performance rankings today? I'm not sure because I'm not doing them. You are, Nathan. Well, you say that, Jer. Let's start then with the red and Arsenal. Just to be absolutely clear, I think Arsenal should be in the orange. I think they should be in the orange, but Jer has insisted that they are in the red because they lost one game. Apparently, you're not allowed to lose a single game in the Premier League this season. Well, I started with five victories in a row, absolutely dominant after an hour and end up losing. Does that say it's same old Arsenal? I don't think that means it's same old Arsenal. Does it not mean exactly same old Arsenal where no. they're very good in uh, very important parts of the game but not the one that really matters which is actually winning matches? Is it not an, an in-belt... F- I really wish Owen was here. Not, not the first and last time I'm going to say this. But just to be like pick away at the scab of his self-doubt which had like crusted over the last year and was like, no, actually, you know, maybe... maybe. He, he couldn't bring himself to believe the good times were here. He couldn't... Jack made his debut sitting in that very chair last week and he's like look there's still something flaky about this Arsenal I can't put my finger on it well Marcus Rashford put his finger on it uh, Christian Eriksen ripped off that scab and it's the same old Arsenal underneath it's not the same old Arsenal Why not? underneath because like the high point of this Arsenal is way ahead of where they've been in previous years they were brilliant for the first 20 minutes scuttling around yesterday. the potential qualification for the Champions absolutely. League absolutely but What's the expectation? Should they be coming in this year to win the league? Like, are you thinking that this is an Arsenal squad ready to win a league title? I think they should finish all best the of the rest. Third, like they should—is that not what they? Well, I think like, there's every chance they finish best of the we're rest. We're splitting hairs here, really. You think they're going to compete to qualify for the Champions League? They should be like, oh, we're a Champions League team. Otherwise, they like in the last they haven't few been years, a Champions League team since Arsene Wenger left. No, like they have so, quality throughout their squad that they haven't had for at least a decade at this stage. And yes, they were beaten yesterday, and maybe there was a bit of naivety in their defending at times. But they were at at that moment in the game when Manchester United got their second goal. Arsenal were ripping them to shreds. They were growing in confidence. They were pushing for a second goal, and maybe they lost the run of themselves. Maybe there's a bit of inexperience when it comes to game management and how you build on the momentum that you have without losing the run of yourself. And maybe that is same old Arsenal, but I don't believe it. I don't think they're the finished article. I think in the middle of midfield, there's still something not quite there. Well, they've injuries in the middle of midfield. That's why they were going after Douglas Luiz. Right, and, and some other players in the... In the well, they still have Granit Xhaka and Sambi Lukonga were in there yesterday. And they, as you said, have a couple of injuries and maybe Zinchenko in there. But like, they were the better team for large parts, large parts. Story of, of Arsenal's life. Better, not, the better team. They have been nowhere near 
nowhere near the level they've got to so far this season. Okay, but who've they beaten? the last four or five years. Who've they beaten so far but, this season? But what? They've, so what? They lost one game. But who's anyone beaten? Like, they were top of the league. They won their first five games. That's all you can do. And they were brilliant. Like, they were the better. They were by far and away the better team. Like, Manchester United couldn't get out of their own half for the first 20 minutes of the second half. I'm not saying United didn't deserve to win it with the way they got their goals and scored two brilliant, brilliant counter-attacking goals. But the, the attempt to overreact to Arsenal losing one game, I, I, I just don't understand it. Okay. Listen, maybe they, for a lot of people, clearly there is 10 years of doubt. Yeah, that's the problem. That is there to think, oh, like, how do you and now we play that? Everton next week. Now Arsenal play Everton next week, and then they draw that game, and it slowly disintegrates. I'm not sure that's there with this Arsenal side. There's a path to that happening all of a sudden in a way that you can see. Not not because of the fact that they lost the game, but because they lose a game that they're supposed to win. Like, they're supposed to win the game where they're dominant, where their attacking players are the best attacking players, but actually they're less efficient than the opposition. Like, it's it, the, the trouble here is that we've seen the movie before, right? You're right, though. They have better players now than they have had. Do they have a better manager? It's hard to know. Like he may well be an excellent manager, but um, games like yesterday, you're supposed to be able to think your way through those and come out with something. And maybe that's the next step in their evolution: is those big games when you are on top, getting the goals when it counts. Whether it's just before half time when De Gea is making a couple of brilliant saves from Martinelli, maybe you know that first goal should count uh, at the VAR overturns, and it's a it's a totally different thing. But I don't, I don't I, think not, you can give the goal, can you? Well, I, I thought the second I saw the replay was going to be disallowed. Kenny Cunningham on commentary yesterday was insistent that the goal had to stand, that this was a little bit of physical contact. I think I saw Aidan O'Hara from the Independent make a good point that like one of the things that's been said this year is that more physicality is allowed. Yeah, it feels... Except, except if there's a goal and we go back and we slow it right down. Like, if that happens and there's no goal, nobody ever thinks about it again. It's a little coming together. Like, Ericsson's slightly off balance. Maybe he needs to be stronger. Maybe that's, I think, what Kenny's argument is. That yeah, there was a push, it's though. It's not a... That's the problem. But it's, it's a push because Ericsson has lost his balance because he's miscontrolled the ball. I, I thought the second I saw it, it's definitely going to be overruled. But I can understand Kenny's point of... And also, like, we could talk for VAR for hours, as everybody has all weekend. Like, Much is, it worse clear and obvi- is it a clear and obvious error when the referee is staring at it from five yards away and in real time doesn't feel it's a free kick? Yeah, no. I mean, in that instance, under that, those criteria, you have to give the goal. But once you've seen the foul, you can't say, I haven't seen the foul. Mm. That's the problem. Like, in a game like all of these games where... The pace is the pace that these players are playing at because of their their uh, fitness and physicality and conditioning. You can probably give everything a foul one way or another. Well, you when you look at back, things. as you said, I, I think that's yesterday's a prime example of that. Of yeah, it probably is a foul, but it's not given because at that moment the pace of the game was unbelievably intense and it was scrappy and there was players pushing into each other, and knocking off each other constantly. So again, just because there's a goal scored at the end of it, you now have to go back and give a free kick where, in real time as a referee, you didn't believe there was one. Yeah. Yeah, in, in, the, in that instance, that should be the criteria. But look, uh, not to get waylaid by the VAR, because everybody else has had this conversation already. You still think Arsenal are on an upward trajectory, which will see them in the Champions League qualifying places at the end of the season? I think so. That's what you're saying. Now, the more you look at it, Arsenal a team this morning. is going to miss out. A team that uh, will feel they should be there, if you even just a Manchester City, Liverpool... Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, and now Manchester United are very much in that mix. Like two of these teams are going to miss out and have had a disastrous season if you don't finish inside the top four. Uh, yeah, yeah, 
I mean, uh, two weeks ago we would have said it wouldn't be a disaster for Man United to finish outside the top four. We would have expected it, but then they spent a quarter of a billion um, in the last few days. And it's like, all right, well, that's a, good, uh, that's a big injection of stuff. So uh, this is our opportunity to talk man, about Man United. How impressed were you? Not that impressed, it sounds like. I, I, I thought, again, there's a character there to Manchester United that, that doesn't panic. And you know, at their best under Solskjaer, they were a brilliant counter-attacking team. And that's what they did yesterday. Like, they sucked Arsenal in. They were absorbing the pressure, albeit on the ropes a little bit in the second half, and struck. And they have that quality in midfield with Ericsson and Fernandez that they can pick out a pass at the right time. Like Marcus Rashford, it's a shame that he went off uh, holding his hamstring. Finally looks like there's a bit of confidence coming back. Remember, just one goal. That Liverpool goal is only goal since January uh, coming into this match. But he took... The first one in particular really well. Uh, he didn't really have any doubts. I know it was a deflection and all that. He didn't have any doubts when he went through this time that he was actually going to score. The deflection is very important, I think, in a way that like that might be what he needed. Quite possibly. You know, like it's possible. Like, great striker score. I did have a doubt. I actually did have a doubt. I think I thought that like, oh, this could be horrific here. But then because it goes in off the deflection, his his life changes. If if he's back to what he was and and fulfills his potential. I, I think that was a big sliding doors moment for him yesterday. Yeah, I, I, I don't think United are, are the finished article yet, now, but there's a, you look at the two fullbacks, they look at his step up massively on where they were last season. Uh, low looks you know, full of confidence. He's playing in a, you know, people talk about Zinchenko playing maybe in a Cancelo type, plays left back but pops up in the middle of midfield. Like Dallow was everywhere yesterday. He's popping up uh, on the edge of the D, like a transformative sort of fullback. Uh, Malassia was getting first 10 minutes Saka had a couple of goals at him and looked at the beating of him but stuck at it and was solid again defensively I know even talking to Kenny again he still has question marks about Martinez but they didn't really do a huge amount wrong yesterday and with Casemiro to come in I thought it was interesting Martinez kicked uh, all around him but that they they got Gabriel Jesus early and often like Mm. I I mean was it an accident that for four times in the first 20 minutes Jesus is on the ground haven't been kicked I'm not sure but there's like a flintiness to that that Harry Maguire wasn't doing that. No, and Harry Maguire comes on and <laughs> well, well, the first thing he does is just clatter a Manchester City player, an Arsenal player, and get uh, get booked. Uh, and maybe, like maybe what Martinez did was the right thing to do because Gabriel Jesus was everywhere except as a number nine for that game. Like maybe mentally he thought, I don't want to be around this guy. I'm going to get injured if I stick near this guy for too long. Uh, but like, yeah, I think United compared to where they were for the first couple of weeks of the season, it's obviously a world apart. Anthony comes in, gets his goal, uh, looks to have a little bit of an edge about him. Like there was a few little swipes at the Arsenal players, uh, throwing the boot in a little bit of chatting to some of the Arsenal players. Why is Casemiro not playing? Is it just fitness? Is that is look? There's an awful lot of games coming. It's hard to believe it's fitness because you know he would have been starting uh, for Real Madrid at the start of the season. Eric ten Hag obviously said you know he's learning to play my style. Yeah, uh, and Scott McTominay is playing so well. Yeah, I mean but that's not incorrect either. Like he is actually playing well. No, and maybe he's slowly building them up, knowing that they have an insane run of fixtures coming up and doesn't want to risk them in any way. It will be interesting, a Casemiro, Christian Eriksen, Bruno Fernandes midfield. Uh, and is that a midfield that can be got at pace-wise and intensity-wise, or actually are they going to have so much control of the ball that actually other teams won't be able to get near them in midfield? And maybe maybe uh, Ten Hag is going to have multiple ways of playing in those games where they're not going to have control of the ball. Uh, you can play that, and it's a lot of through balls through, and the front three need to run and run and run, and they've got energy to do that now mm. because um, 
Pardon me, Ronaldo's not in the team. Uh, Fergus Kiel says, Arsenal are still top of the table in red. Come on, Ger. Look, you know, the, it's early days. Six, game, six games in. The table is not the table uh, as it's going to be at the end of the season. You're not the only one, Ger. I wish his own was here, says MJW. <laughs> I don't know whose shots that's far that particular. Uh, maybe Arteta should be in the red. Why he changed the team at that moment, I'll never know, says Philip Nolan. Um, so, may, look, maybe this is all part of Arteta's learning curve and he needs more time as a number one to be able to come through these things. So, you're, you're predicting they're going to finish top four still? Uh, from what we've seen so far this season, I think from the quality that they have, I, I think Arsenal have given themselves a great chance of finishing top four. All right. Uh, Mikey Brown, how is VAR, VAR not in the red? You wanted VAR in the red. I took it out. Basically, yeah, the, it was going to come up throughout the morning anyway. Yeah, so. it's, uh, it, we have many opportunities for us. Right, so... Um, Arsenal should have been in the orange, says Nathan. I say they should have been in the red. You can have your own say in our comments box. 087-9180-180 is WhatsApp number. What's next? Uh, Leicester. I don't need to come any questions uh, that Leicester should be in the red. Uh, another defeat yesterday, beaten 5-2 by Brighton. Brighton unlucky not to be in the green. Um, bottom of the table, one point from six games. And a general sense with Brendan Rodgers that he's, he's given up. He's just waiting for the inevitable payoff that will come. It's a real shame because what Leicester have done over the last few years under Rodgers has been outstanding. Yeah, they screwed up. They didn't get that Champions League spot twice. Twice when it was there for the taking. And it's falling apart as a club. Like from, you know, they sustained, okay, not quite winning the title again, uh, but sustained being a regular top half of the table team. And there's no reason why they can't get back there. But there was such an opportunity for them over the last 18 years to really make themselves a force where they're a top six team every single year. thought they were unbelievably unlucky last season with the amount of injuries that they picked up throughout the season. Totally derailed them. And this summer, they haven't done the business. They you know, have become something of a selling club, even if they've managed to keep hold of you know, James Madison and Jamie Vardy and Harvey Barnes. You know, the Wesley Fofana situation just dragged on for, for far too long. Yeah, they got full value in the end, but did it give them enough time to get replacements in? Did it give them a chance to spend their 80 million quid? I don't know. And like, it feels the most inevitable thing. We are just waiting for the message to come through this afternoon that Brendan Rodgers is gone. You think it'll be that they won't give us all the drama that we feel we deserve in, in football? Give them a week. I mean, it's a full week is the problem, right? Uh, Leicester, Aston Villa, next Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. Brendan Rodgers... Versus Steven Gerrard. It's, it's, well, what, 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 we don't deserve this. What about we need this it? scenario, all right, where Brendan Rodgers is gone this week, then Leicester going to beat Aston Villa, Steven Gerrard is fired next week, and Brendan Rodgers is the new Aston Villa manager? Equally a, a scenario that, uh, that could play out. Would you, what, as, a Villa, as a Villa fan, would you be comfortable with Brendan Rodgers being the next Aston Villa manager? I think Brendan Rodgers is an excellent football manager, yeah. Like, people dislike Brendan Rodgers for whatever reason. I think, was that what Mark Darnes said, for whatever reason? Never really had much time for him for whatever reason. Uh, um, in the parlance of football, he's chocolate in that mm. he, he would eat himself. But, like, you know, uh, don't, you don't... Oh, there's a huge amount of revisionism when it comes to Brendan Rodgers' achievements of everywhere he's been and, you know, at Liverpool, what he should have done differently that day against Chelsea and the naivety and all of that. Like, he got Liverpool playing incredible football. Uh, some of the best football they played. Uh, certainly in the intervening years before Jurgen Klopp came along. Obviously, Celtic supporters look at him very differently despite all the success that they brought there because he jumped ship. 
Uh, and again, at Leicester, like, if you take away the title-winning season and maybe the freakish aspect of that, like, it's done more than you know, done more than anybody has done. Get some fifth in the league twice, even last season where it was a struggle, they end up finishing eighth, which for a club of Leicester is exceptional. And also, if you're a club like Aston Villa. Like he has a track record of making really good signings. Of I do wonder how much credit you need to give him for that or the architecture that comes with him. And, and it Are seems you? like Leicester have been very good at signing before and after. Um, well, obviously, we haven't seen the after yet. Probably in likes of Coutinho, Firmino at, at Liverpool as well. Um, but he's also developed young players. Like he has a track record at, at Leicester of developing young players, even at Liverpool with Raheem Sterling. So, you know, James Justin... Harvey Elliott, Harvey Barnes, James Madison, all of these guys have got a lot better. Keenan Jewsbury Hall over the last 18 months under Brendan Rodgers. And it's, it's falling apart, and he seems quite happy almost for it to fall apart at this stage. But I still think while him getting the top six job is gone for now, you know, those middle-ranking teams like Village Air will, will snap him up. Well, I mean, you, you say that like it's supposed to be an insult, but Villa need to know exactly where they are in the world at the moment. And uh, they're not in the world where you can take some manager who has not got very much experience and put him into the Premier League and let him learn on the job. However, they have just had their best result of the season by slowing down the Manchester City juggernaut under intense pressure and coming from behind to do it and nearly snatching a winner. So, uh, like... I don't know if um, Stephen Gerrard has won. He certainly has not won the Villa fans back just yet. But, like, beats Leicester next week and all of a sudden the mood music, the pressure valve is released and he's certainly he's going to be the manager through the next transfer window. If they... Like, that's, that's what these games mean. That's what... If they've been beaten like Nottingham Forest had been by Manchester City and there'd been another Haaland hat-trick, I think, like, he would have been in the red. They would have been in so much trouble... Uh, and now they have a relatively easy game, you would say, next week, if Brendan Rodgers is still the manager. So, I don't know, it's very interesting. Well, they were, they were really unlucky at the weekend, like, the again, the decision uh, around the disallowed goal and the raising of the flag early goes against everything we've seen from officials over the last 18 months. Yeah, as long as you don't get beaten 6-7-0 by Manchester City, you're, you know, you're probably getting fired off the back of that. Uh, but it is, as you say now, an expectation going into the Leicester game because they are in absolute crisis that these are the sort of games Villa need to win and to build a bit of momentum. <laughs> Gerard can turn it around, managers turn it around all the time. Just listening to the commentary around Villa uh, on this show and elsewhere over the last couple of weeks, it does feel that there's just a general lack of trust of Gerard that it, it won't take much for Villa to go back into crisis mode again. No, that's one side. The other side of it is that actually he's started to... So Douglas Louise hadn't been in the team for whatever reason. I don't know if they, if they had, like... If that was one of those, he wants to leave. Well, you can't pick him if he wants to leave. We might sell him. We might sell him. Don't put him. But he started... Um, he obviously had been their only goal-scoring threat from corners for a couple of weeks there. But he started the game with Kamara and Ramsey and McGinn and... I don't know, it seems to have worked. Uh, Leon Bailey, who obviously didn't play any football last season after his big money arrival, he was given out about not being in the team, but has started to score goals, scored in the Cup, scored at the weekend. You're like, well, maybe there is the bones of a good team there. And maybe those players can go on a run. And the team is completely settled now because of the injuries that they've had. So, I don't know. Does a result like that against Man City give everybody a bit of confidence and everybody's bouncing in a train going, actually, you know what, we just stopped the greatest team that might ever exist. It'd want to give you a bit of confidence. It would. I mean, Haaland and De Bruyne, Foden and Silva started that game. Mm. Like, that's a good team. <laughs> it's a good team, you know? And they, they held them. So, 
that the next week is going to be interesting. You can't see a way out for Brandon Rogers at Leicester unless Leicester decides. Well, you got you got us into this mess. Yeah, get us out of it. it up. Yeah, it doesn't much like the Scott Parker scenario where he was got rid of just because of his general negativity. That for Leicester, like if Rogers doesn't want to be there, he always seems like a very naturally uh, enthusiastic and positive person. Uh, he looks quite broken right now, so maybe the best thing for Leicester. Like the last time they were bottom of the league and it was all doom and gloom, they suddenly turned it all around and within 80 months were champions. So who knows? Bring yeah. back Nigel Pearson. They did have a very good squad of players. Uh, I think they've still got a pretty good squad of players there at the moment. and They all kind of seem like they all want out. Well, that is that is the problem. Almost every single one of them and I, has been linked I with somebody say, else. I actually do think that, that we, I think we talked about this at the time, that like the constant Rodgers being linked with and never quite denying the Man United links and whoever else was coming up links. Like, if you're Tielemans or Vardy or any of the rest of those players and you're looking at that going... Okay, so this is a stepping stone. That's we're, we're all we're all agreed. We're going to do our very best while it's here, but it's a stepping stone, right? Well, if like, you look at that team for yesterday, like Justin, Indeedy, Barnes, Tielemans, Madison, all of them linked with moves during the summer, and again, all of them knowing that if you know if Antonio Conte implodes at Christmas, that Brendan Rodgers will be gone like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's uh, it's uh, the wages of sin. Seven fifty five. Let's go to Amber. Amber. We've decided to put the Republic of Ireland's women's national team in amber. Obviously, it's an easy green after the success of Thursday night. But tomorrow night has taken on all sorts of importance now against Slovakia uh, because there's a real opportunity for Ireland to be one of the seeded sides for the playoff draw. That's it. Play my music, Chair. I'm going to explain how the playoffs work. I think everyone has a basic understanding of the initial, uh, initial playoff system right now. So nine teams qualify for the playoffs. Uh, the bottom six teams, according to their points, uh, will play off in the first round. The top three get a bye from the first round and go straight through to the second round. Uh, so on Thursday night after the game, I, I, I sort of got through it and felt it wasn't that unlikely. I know Vera Powell at the time felt, ooh, a lot of things need to happen, but all of them weren't beyond the realms of possibility. In fact, some of them were quite obvious. So for Ireland to finish in the top three, the following needed to happen. They needed Norway to beat Belgium. Norway beat Belgium by a goal to nil. They needed England to beat Austria. England beat Austria by two goals to nil. They needed Serbia to drop points in one of their last two games against either Portugal or Israel. Portugal beat Serbia, which means it is now in Ireland's own hands. If they can win in Slovakia tomorrow evening, five o'clock kickoff, Ireland will be one of the three seeded teams. They'll be the third seeded team. So Switzerland and either Iceland or the Netherlands are going to be the top two seeded teams. Belgium are currently third, but they are finished. So Ireland are on 14 points. Belgium are on 16 points. A win for Ireland. And they will be one of the seeded teams, which means they get a bye. And it also means they definitely avoid Switzerland, Netherlands, Iceland, the toughest possible teams in that draw for the playoffs. Now, being the third seeded team does increase the possibility that you're in that pretty nightmarish scenario where you can win your final playoff and still not qualify. What? So, there'll be three playoff winners. At the end of all this, there'll be three European playoff winners. Only the top two qualify for the World Cup. Automatically. Automatically. The third team will go to a repercharge, you could call it, in New Zealand next February, where there'll be ten teams from around the world, an inter-confederations playoff. 
10 teams, three more places for the World Cup, divided into three sections. But we would definitely be the top-ranked team in that by a mile, right? Definitely one of the strong favourites. Uh, again, there's so much still to go in different parts of the world, it's kind of hard to figure out how that would work out and what teams you would end up being drawn against. Yeah. Uh, so the ideal scenario for Ireland is obviously they win their playoff uh, and then there's an upset somewhere else. Uh, the way they're going to do it, and it doesn't seem to make a huge amount of sense, is they'll take your points from the group stage and then add the result from the final. And I'm assuming that means if one of them was a draw and it went to penalties, that that would actually count as one point rather than a three-point win. So by winning directly, you could possibly get through. So just to play that out, are you actually better being a strong team and having the two games? So from your semi-final, or do they only take the points from the final? Only from the final. Okay, Again, okay it, fair enough. It, it, it doesn't, I, it, I definitely think seeding is the way to go so that you avoid... So Netherlands and Iceland play tomorrow as well, and uh, the Dutch need to win that. Now, they'd be strong favourites uh, to win that. But I think you want to avoid Iceland, Netherlands, Switzerland. Uh, you know, There's a possibility you get Bosnia, who'd be seen as one of the uh, weaker runner-up, and if Ireland are seeded. So it just makes it more straightforward. But there is, there is a possibility you know, Ireland could have, if they weren't to win tomorrow night, could have four more games to qualify and all four tough games. So that's the only reason they're in the amber. I think after Thursday night, everyone's feeling confident. But Slovakia have been a pain in the ass for everybody in this group so far. They obviously drew in Dublin. Uh, They took points off Finland as well. And Ireland need to get themselves back up after the celebrations. It was such a high on Thursday night that, you know, back down to earth, big job to do. And life could be a whole lot easier. Injured. Uh, Jamie Finn suspended. Yeah, so they're, they're not as strong as they were in advance of the game last week, but um, we'll have more on that in a little while. We have uh, Ashley O'Reilly, our reporter, is on the trip with them and reporting back over the next uh, 24, 48 hours. Hopefully it's a historic victory and we catapult ourselves forward straight into that playoff and we get a reasonable draw and away we go. So even if we, is there, we have to win the playoff, otherwise there's no... Once you oh, you've got to win from... Once tomorrow night is done, so Ireland are in a playoff regardless, even if Slovakia were to beat them tomorrow night. But from there on in, you've got to win every game or you're gone. Okay. All right, so that's why they're in the amber. We hope that they'll be in the green by this time next week. So who are in the green, Nathan? I think we start with Celtic in the green. Uh, Old firm win by four goals to nil. Uh, Celtic's season so far, played six games, won all six games, scored 25 goals, conceded one goal. And they've just beaten Rangers by four goals. If ever there was a week that Celtic should be in the green, it's this week. And Real Madrid are coming to town tomorrow. Could be the greatest week of all time. Quite possibly. Uh, I know Celtic fans are absolutely loving what they're seeing from Celtic right now. Uh, Not just the form that they're showing, the manner of their performances, the quality of their performances, the style of football where they're totally dominating teams, where it's real slick passing possession football, scoring top quality goals. And a sense that actually going into Europe and being in the Champions League group stage for the first time since 2017, that maybe they can make an impression. It's the one little question mark that's hanging over Ange Postacoglu is last season was a huge disappointment. You know, they get well beaten by Bode Glimt in the Conference League after dropping out of the Europa League. That greatness at Celtic, even still, is achieved by making an impression in Europe. Nobody's expecting them even to go back, I think, to the days really of, of what Martin O'Neill was to do, such as the disparity in European football but that they can go out against quality teams and show their best stuff. So Real Madrid tomorrow night is you know, tough a test as you can get the defending champions. Uh, they've got Leipzig and Shakhtar Donetsk in the group as well. Uh, they're in a position already where maybe while the games are coming thick and fast that you know, they, 
they're pretty much guaranteed to win the vast majority of their games in the Scottish Premiership, that they can be fresh and rested. And, yeah, whatever... Uh, Whatever they might say about Brendan Rodgers, they look at Ange Postecoglou in a very, very different way. Yeah, they do. They do. I mean, um, did all the did all the GA legends over there at the weekend? Yeah, what was David the story Clifford about? was there. Yeah, Kevin Cassidy. Kevin Cassidy. They were in the same group, and they were all on the. They saw Mark O'Shea meeting. Oh, was he in the same group? Mm. All right. Um, I wonder what the crack was. What the what the link was? Um, Kevin Cassidy was saying he was pretty certain that uh, Clifford could play up front for us, and by us he was meaning Celtic. I do wonder if there's like a you know. A shock mar- transfer a, well a marketing a smart marketing person who like gets him gets him to a club for a week of a trial in the style of Anthony Towell remember that mm. that was uh, yeah went to Manchester United didn't he he did yeah scored in a reserve game right um, he definitely would be uh, oh there's a couple of the carry lads there as well yeah so they absolutely uh, ripped Rangers to pieces to say the quality of the goals uh, the fourth goal like Rangers were just broken, the keeper just passes it straight out to the Celtic uh, attacker. He just slots it in, uh, and again, it's what Celtic have to be now: picking up players from different parts of the world. Uh, they brought Aaron Moy back from China. You know, he was at Brighton. He was a okay Premier League player and looks top quality now for Celtic. Matt O'Reilly was brilliant at the weekend, and Kyogo Abada Jota are all scoring a load of goals. So. Uh, it's there's a lot to like about Celtic, and you hope that tomorrow night against Real Madrid they can do themselves justice. Yeah, I mean, I presume every Premier League team is looking at Ange going, um, "How do we? What, what do we need to do to get him? Or how much more does he have to do before uh, the rest of the Premier League teams are like, okay, we we need to get this guy?" Well, I think it's the manner of the football as well. Like we're seeing, like Brighton, as I say, could easily have been in the green this week. Teams want attacking possession football. It's what supporters want to see. They don't want to see their team sitting back, regardless of where they are on the table now. They want to see they're having a go and they're going to be entertained. And if the odd time you get it beaten because of that, fine. But they don't want the 1-0, we're sitting five back. And I think Ange Postacoglu will be really attractive to a huge amount of Premier League clubs because of that. He gets his teams playing and he's shown he can mix and match players. They don't have too many superstars at Celtic, really, at the moment. But he's getting them to this level, so it's not, it's, I, I can't see him uh, pulling the Brendan Rodgers and jumping ship mid-season, but who knows how this Premier League season develops. Maybe Brendan Rodgers gets fired and Leicester say, you know what, we've got, we've got good connections up in Celtic. Let's go again. Yeah. All right. Uh, headline. <laughs> there you go. Four minutes past eight. Who else is in the green? Uh, final one in the green. Got to be Kieran McGeehan. Uh, unbelievable on Friday night. Uh, Diamond League winner. Uh, in Brussels and broke Sonia Sullivan's 1,500-metre record, which has stood since all the way back in 1995. Uh, Kieran had never broken four minutes before, and she finished in three minutes, 56 seconds, 0.63. So took over two seconds off Sonia Sullivan's Irish record. And this has been coming. Uh, Kieran McGeehan, interesting, listened to her over the weekend. She's obviously performed exceptionally at the Commonwealth Games and at the European Championships, having chosen to skip the World Championships in Oregon, taking silver medals behind Laura Muir. And they weren't particularly fast races, but she said she knew she knew this sort of sub-four-minute time was in her, and she was just praying to God that she would get a fast 1,500 metres so she could show it. She wasn't even in the race towards the end of last week, again, because her times this year hadn't been exceptional, her performances have been brilliant, but those races where she performed have been some of the slower races, even though they were big championship races, and she managed to get a place in uh, late on and beats Laura Muir, who she trains with all the time. And you look at the results across the European Championship, across this Diamond League, 
She is competing and beating people who are world championship medalists, who are top three, top four in the world on a consistent basis. And you know, she has got to be looking towards another world championship next year in Budapest with a real possibility of being in the mix for a medal. It's going to be an action again this week. The Diamond League final is on yeah. uh, on Thursday night. So that's on um, in Zurich. So, yeah, it's, I think Kira McGeehan, as one of the most, uh, understandably, one of the most popular Irish sports people, has been building towards this throughout her entire career. She's 30 now. And, you know, people might have felt, well, actually, maybe those days of contending for medals or running these sort of times weren't going to happen. But if anything, she's just getting better and better. Yeah, as an 18-year-old, she won a silver medal in the World Junior Championships in uh, in 2010. And so that's like she was a world-quality athlete at 18. And here she is finally fulfilling her potential after, um, you know, injury and all sorts of things had uh, prevented her from getting to that point. So uh, really, to beat your training partner who's beaten you twice mm. for medals... Um, at the end of the season I don't know if you've seen the same commentary I have but the the British commentators are like oh our girl well she must be very tired at the end of the season and then you look at the time and like no she just couldn't run as fast no well I think you saw the reaction from uh, the other thing was I was Nora. kind of surprised I didn't try and claim her that was the other well, thing that was that's, about to that's happen. coming that'll be next year uh, when yeah. she gets that world championship medal I think I think, I think uh, yeah. but she's, she's always been one for the big day like her previous record in 1500 was in a world championship so uh, I think we all know when we look at Kira McGee we can trust that she is going to perform on the big stage and it'd be interesting I, I'm sure she doesn't have any regrets about skipping the world championship because you know maybe skipping that and focusing a little bit later in the summer has allowed her to perform at the Commonwealth and at the Europeans and get this new record because of that but looking ahead to the next world championship, like she has got to be thinking there is a definite medal chance. Yeah, and also like this is there's a very limited window for athletes to um, to make money in these big competitions. Mm. So fingers crossed she can, uh, you know. That, and I think that would also justify everything as well because we forget that these athletes represent Ireland on an absolute shoestring in terms of the revenue that we give them as a country to run in our colours. So um, well, I thought the conversation with Eamon Coughlin last week was fascinating and. You know, Kira McGeehan left Ireland. Uh, she went over to Manchester. You know, she's spoken about how difficult a decision that was. But she's training with the best, so she's training with Laura Muir. So she knows exactly every single day what she's got to do to get herself into contention, and it's worked. And it's worked in her favour. And it's been brilliant to see, and it'll be hopefully brilliant to see on Thursday night as well. All right. Um, some comments coming in. Owen Hurley says, "Put Klopp in the red. Liverpool on cruise control in the second half, and he brings on Milner. Why?" Was he going to unlock Everton's defence? Like, I'd get it if we went 1-0 up, but come on, Jesus. Um, uh, what did you make of the... Uh, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes with Harriet Pryor. What did you make of Liverpool's performance? Again, th- that line of there's something just missing. I, I think midfield uh, isn't there. The energy that has been a hallmark of this team over the last four or five years isn't there in midfield and I think that is destabilising everything. I keep going back to the goal that Palace scored against them and Eze getting around Fabinho in midfield. That tackle is made by a Liverpool player every time for the last three or four years. Like Henderson gets in and he wins that ball and then actually Liverpool are on the attack. Suddenly probably Trent's release or Salah's release because it's all a little bit uncertain but he loses it and the defence are just exposed and again... Everton had several chances on the counter-attack and yeah, Van Dijk looks a little bit off it. Trent, defensively, there's question marks. But they haven't had to defend like this at any stage. 
since they got to the club because the midfield isn't protecting them. Like Liverpool's midfield was everything. They're not the stars. They were the engine. Yeah. But it was an engine that overpowered everything. Is there a possibility that they're the ones struggling to finish fourth? Uh, if it continues to go like this, we've obviously seen uh, you know, a couple of years ago where it disintegrated pretty quickly. Uh, now, the players coming back, and you know, they did win their previous game 9-0. Um, and they hit the woodwork, what, three, four times? Well, the previous the game weekends. was the, the late winner against Newcastle. Oh, sorry, Newcastle. Yeah. Um, which it was like a 97-minute winner. You know, which it's great and everything. It's great that that's happening, but you can't bank on that all the time. And No, you can't. And there is the possibility that the other teams have improved massively and Liverpool have fallen back. They need to find something in midfield. But the fact that Henderson's going to be out for, it seems, at least till the international break would leave you very concerned. They're picking up a lot of injuries. I, th- I think the reason Milner came on, we were down at Electric Picnic, so I only saw the highlights afterwards. I thought it was the Trent had gone off injured as well, okay. uh, just before the hour mark. But again, like you're relying on James Milner. Patrick Campbell is in uh, on my camp here. He says, bit late to the party here, lads, but Arsenal are royally fecked in October when they play the top half of the table teams and three Europa League games midweek. Let's wait and see. Yeah, everybody see. is that. Like, He's yeah. marrying them. I'm like, no, okay, one weekend, fine, let's, let's have the crack. I actually think that brings in, even for Liverpool, for Manchester City, that's the jeopardy that brings the next them back month... To the pack. Well, for everybody. Like, everybody has ten games yeah. in the next month. They all have, they all have giant bloated squads, whereas the... the I don't know, like, City obviously have the quality. Do they have a giant bloated squad? They always have three or four academy kids. Like, they're the best academy kids, so... They are. They're all just fine. Like, the opposition are trying to buy for it. Well, Chelsea might be. I don't know. I don't know what's going on at Chelsea. They are, there's a case study there, which we'll do later on in the week. It's 11 minutes past 8. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. That is this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings. OTBAM's performance rankings with Gillette... 